If you're new to Bay Marin, every now and then I'd like to have someone up here who will read the scripture while I teach through it. So Marina, everyone, welcome Marina. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 this morning. And uh, I want to share with you all uh, something. Uh, April 30th, we're, you're going to want to be here. Because we're going to do a big send-off for a very dear family in our midst. Uh, but I want to share with you now because people are finding out. And I want you to be praying for them. Uh, Phil... Mindy, Caleb, and Chloe Steiner will all be moving to Mexico uh, on May 1st, is that right? Um, so a collective tear uh, from all of us, but please be praying for the Steiner family as they prepare to move to Mexico. Uh, as many of you know, they are co-directors of Be to Live, which is one of our primary outreach partners. Uh, we partner with them as they do trips to Mexico with uh, mainly uh, high schoolers from Marin County. So tons of young people who don't know anything about Jesus go on a mission trip uh, with Phil and Mindy. They get a Bible, they hear about Jesus, and they serve uh, in La Misión, Mexico. And so it's really fabulous work. And uh, they're going to continue to do that work. Uh, they're just going to be centered in Mexico now uh, rather than here. But you'll be coming back from time to time to make connections here. And so we will of course, get to continue to see them, but please be in prayer for Phil and Mindy, Caleb and Chloe as they prepare for that move. Uh, I'm going to say a word of prayer and we'll jump in. God, thank you for another Sunday where we get to gather together. God, I pray that this morning we would really know your presence in your church, that we would know your presence in one another as we encourage one another, as we love one another, as we speak to one another. God, be with the, the Steiner family. God, as they prepare to move, I pray that you would bless their move, that you would go before them, behind them, with them, prepare the way for them, and that we as a church would support and love them in the process. And be with us now as we open the scriptures, as we look at these stories from the life of Jesus. Speak to us, God. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand that we might turn and experience more healing from you. In the name of Jesus, everyone said? Amen. Amen. Okay. So, Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Okay. So, uh, Jesus... Marina knows I'm going to interrupt her. I, I prepared her for this. She's good. Uh, Jesus has just been on the other side of the lake. We talked about last week how Jesus went to the other side, mainly Gentile territory. And so he has been among, for the Jewish people, quote unquote, unclean people. And uh, on the way over there, they encountered a massive storm. And uh, Jesus was asleep in the boat when they encountered this storm. And his disciples were scared to death, and they shouted, Lord, save us, and Jesus calms the storm. We see that Jesus has uh, authority over the natural elements. And then he goes to the other side, and he heals these uh, men who are possessed by demons and frees them. Uh, we see that this 
storm that took place outwardly and physically is a storm that was taking place internally within these men, and Jesus has authority over all of it, and he shows great kindness, compassion, and mercy. I I'm just wondering what the disciples are thinking as they get back in the boat to go back. Like, I hope we don't encounter another storm. Uh, and so they go back across to his hometown, which is Capernaum. Uh, Jesus' uh, kind of base was Capernaum. Uh, he lived there. We don't know where. Uh, we know he went from place to place. He was itinerant. It seems likely that he lived with Peter because he had gone into Peter's uh, home and healed Peter's mother-in-law. But they are now back in Capernaum. Some men brought him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to, to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, so uh, these men bring Jesus uh, their friend who's paralyzed. Uh, this is the same story that's also told in the Gospel of Mark and Luke. Uh, M Matthew interestingly leaves out this major detail. In Matthew and Luke, as the story goes, the crowds were so big and all around Jesus that they couldn't get to Jesus, so they dug a hole through the roof and lowered this man down. Matthew doesn't tell us that, that detail, but it's the same story. And so they bring this man to Jesus, and Jesus simply says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith. Now, I'm, I'm really interested in the fact that the text tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, not the man's faith, but his friend's faith, he says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. This is really interesting to me. Last week, we talked about how when the storm was happening in the boat, uh, Jesus said, you of little faith, which in the Greek is just one word, meaning little faiths. Jesus calls them this name, you little faiths. Uh, and yet he calms the storm, which gives us great hope, does it not? That just a tiny bit of faith is enough. All you need is a, just a tiny bit of faith. And Jesus is present to you. Uh, what if you don't have faith? What, what if you feel like uh, you are just so significantly lacking in faith? What, what do you do? I would say take the faith of some friends. That's what this man is doing. Jesus doesn't look at this man's faith. He looks at the man's friend's faith. And he says, this is impressive. This man has some friends who have great faith. And they're bringing this man to me. Uh, I'll take their faith. I'll go with that. Uh, if you feel like you are barely holding on and that your faith is desperately lacking, uh, you need to grab onto the faith of those around you. Uh, that's what church is all about. That when you're struggling, when you feel like you can't make it, when you feel paralyzed, you need the faith of others to carry you because we carry each other. It's what church is about. We carry each other. When our faith is weak, we have the faith of our neighbor who says, I'll, I'll carry you. I'm with you. I'll carry you. Uh, and Jesus says, my son. He, he names him son. One who maybe felt alienated, one who maybe felt outside of the community, one who maybe felt on the outskirts, Jesus says, my son, 
your sins are forgiven. Now, in uh, the first century Judaism, they typically associated an ailment, whether it was being paralyzed or something else, with sin. And so the danger here is that people could say, oh, this man is a sinner and that's why he's paralyzed. But Jesus makes clear to us elsewhere that that's not the case. In John chapter 9, uh, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? He was born blind. So it's just this assumption. Well, if he's blind, he must have sinned or his parents sinned. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that, that's what's going on in Matthew 9, is Jesus is showing the works of God and that Jesus not only has authority over healing, but authority over forgiving sin. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Okay. So the teachers of the law, the religious people are there, and they see this. They hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. This man is blaspheming because only God has authority to forgive sins. And here's this man, this itinerant rabbi who has just said, your sins are forgiven. How could he say such a thing? This is blasphemy. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want to, you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay. So Jesus, so, so what's easier here? To say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? Uh, the question isn't answered here. Uh, but Jesus says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Now, when he says Son of Man, he is referring to himself. And Son of Man is literally the human one. In other words, Jesus is the perfect embodiment of humanity, where, where God created humans to flourish and, and live out of who they were created to be, we broke that connection. And that beauty, the image of God in us, has been bent and broken and marred. And Jesus comes, God in the flesh, to show us what it's like to be fully human, what it's like to live into that which God intended humanity to be. This term, Son of Man, is used in Daniel, and this is where it comes from. It says, in my vision, Daniel's having a vision. He says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, uh, a truly human one, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Ancient of Days is a, a term used of God. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And, and, and so uh, the, the thought is, how, how could a human one come into the presence of God 
and be given all this authority and then everyone worship him. It's this prophetic utterance foretelling the coming of God in the flesh among us. And so Jesus, by referring to himself as son of man, is saying this has now been fulfilled in me. I am that son of man who came into the presence of the Ancient of Days, of the Holy One, of God. And it is me that has received this authority, this glory and sovereign power. Uh, It is me who is to be worshiped because I am truly God in the flesh. Uh, This uh, would not make the religious people of Jesus' day all that thrilled about him, that he would make this kind of claim about himself. But he's saying, I have authority to forgive sins. Why do I have authority to forgive sins? when only God can forgive sins? Because I am the Son of Man. I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. Okay, so uh, Jesus not only forgives this man's sins, but then physically heals the man. He gets up, takes up his mat, and goes home. Now, in, uh, in Mark, it's the Sabbath day, and to take up your mat and walk home uh, would mean you're working on the Sabbath. So Jesus is getting himself into all kinds of trouble with the religious authorities. And he, as you read through the Gospels and you see the way Jesus does this, he seems to actually enjoy it. Uh, he enjoys getting himself into trouble with the, the ultra-religious people of his day. And, and so he heals this man and sends him home. Uh, This man whose friends carried him and had faith. Uh, Perhaps today you need to be carried. Perhaps today you need to reach out to someone who needs to be carried. Uh, Perhaps you know someone in your life who you see and you can tell they're just paralyzed. They're they're paralyzed with fear. They're paralyzed with, with something deeply heart-wrenching in their life. Who, who is God inviting you to carry? And right now, if you need to be carried, who are the people in your life? This is why community is so important. This is why faith communities are so important, our small groups. Uh, sometimes we just need to be carried by others. Uh, and this man ends up, because he was carried by his friends, he ends up experiencing a resurrection. The words there used of Jesus saying, get up, and he got up, it's the same Greek word as he is risen in Matthew 28. Uh, This is a resurrection that has taken place in this man's life. And he got up, carried his mat, and he went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Okay, Uh, so the crowds are filled with awe and they praise God for giving authority to Jesus, to this man. This is amazing. What Matthew is showing us is what Daniel spoke of. It's this authority Jesus has. He shows us, Jesus gives the teaching, the Sermon on the Mountain. After he finishes that teaching, the crowds say, he teaches with authority. Not like our teachers of the law, but this man teaches with authority. So we see Jesus has uh, authority in teaching. Then, after he teaches the Sermon on the Mount, he comes down and he touches a leper and heals him. Uh, He has authority over these boundaries of the purity codes and he has authority to heal sickness. Then we see that, that Jesus 
calms a storm. He has authority over nature. He drives out demons. He has authority over the spiritual world. And, and now we see he forgives sins. This is the true Son of Man, the true Messiah, the one who has been given all authority and glory and sovereign power. And how does Jesus always use that authority? He always, always uses his authority and power for good with compassionate mercy. Often, most often, to those no one else wants to be compassionate to. Often to those on the outskirts. A leper who isn't allowed around anyone else must live outside of town. Jesus touches him. A, a Roman centurion, the enemy, the empire who has taken up residence in their homeland. And Jesus interacts with him and heals his servant. Uh, Demon-possessed, those on the outside living in the tombs, a paralytic, uh, Jesus is always looking and interacting with and hanging out with those on the outside that the society of his day would say, mm-mm, mm-mm, don't talk to them, don't interact with them. Uh, there were the in-groups and the out-groups. And one of the out-groups, for sure, were tax collectors. The Calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting on the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Okay. Tax collectors were absolutely despised by the Jewish people. In a similar way to Roman centurions. Uh, the problem here, though, with Matthew is that he himself is a Jew. And so he is doubly hated. First, for being in collusion with the empire. And secondly, for betraying his own people. Uh, tax collectors were hired by Rome to collect a certain amount of taxes. You had to collect a certain amount. Anything you collected over that was your commission. That's how you made a living. And tax collectors were notorious for over-collecting significantly. So Matthew is probably likely very wealthy. He, he's living quite well, whereas the others in the Galilee region are not living so well. They were an impoverished group of people, the Galileans. And, and so here's Matthew, who has likely seen Jesus, because Jesus hangs out in Capernaum. He's likely seen Jesus. He's likely heard of him. He's likely seen some things Jesus has done. Perhaps he heard the Sermon on the Mount. He records the whole thing here for us. So perhaps he heard the Sermon on the Mount. And then one day, Jesus walks by, and he sees Matthew, and he says, follow me. If I can have the next slide, I want to look at a couple of things here. Tax collector saw got up and followed. Tax collectors despise. They're part of the outgroup. But Jesus saw him and said, follow me. Uh, Jesus didn't just see him physically. Jesus saw him. Here's one of the things that is so deeply comforting to me about Jesus. He sees who I was created to be more than he sees my sin. And I got plenty of sin. 
I mess up all the time. I'm a deeply flawed, broken human being. And I take great comfort in knowing that Jesus approaches me with mercy, with grace, and he sees me. He's not focusing on my sin. He's not focusing on my brokenness. What he's seeing is, he, is me, who he created me to be. And it's the same for you. Jesus sees you. That shouldn't frighten you. It shouldn't be like, oh no, Jesus knows my inmost thoughts. Jesus knows how messed up I am. Of course he does. That should bring you great comfort. You're messed up. I'm messed up. Jesus sees that, but what he sees more than that is who you're created to be. And his constant invitation is follow me. Follow me. Uh, follow me here is in the perfect presence. It, it, it means uh, be following me. It's this consistent, ongoing following of Jesus. And every time we mess up, the invitation's the same. Hey, get back up and follow me. Follow me. Jesus sees you. He sees who you were created to be. He knows what's in there. The deep, deep longing for God and the things of God. And, and the deep desire for God. And the brokenness is only that desire for God gone awry. It's just your, your desires have become broken and bent, and Jesus comes to realign our desires back to God. He says, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed. Again, got up, word for resurrection. This is nothing short of a resurrection story. Matthew has risen from the dead. He is leaving his old life as a tax collector, and he's following Jesus. This is super risky for Matthew. He, he's risking everything here because people like Peter, James, John, who are fishermen, hey, if this whole Jesus thing doesn't work out, I can go back and be a fisherman. Matthew can never go back to being a tax collector. Rome wouldn't allow it. You leave this lucrative job we've given you, that's it. We sever ties. You're done. He left it. He left the lucrative business he had. And he experienced resurrection. And he followed Jesus. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Okay. So, uh, here's uh, one of the problems with some of our translations. They, they don't always, they, they see some words and they're like, oh, that's just clutter. We don't need that. Um, what we've already looked at in verse 2 and 3, both verses 2 and 3 in Matthew 9 begin with the word, Behold. This is Matthew saying, pay attention. This is important. Same thing with verse 10. It begins in the Greek with the word, behold. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. Matthew is saying, pay attention because this is crazy. 
This is crazy that Jesus is doing this. There were all these social codes in Jesus' day. Uh, and table code, who you dined with and who you didn't. And, and Jesus is just breaking down all these codes and all these barriers and all these boundaries. Uh, I, I'm just imagining myself at this table with Jesus, tax collectors and sinners, whatever that means, it's, according to the religious people today, it's anyone who was living outside of their rigid interpretation of the law. Uh, and Jesus' disciples. Uh, do you think this was just kind of a calm, cool uh, dinner experience? I think it might have been kind of raucous. Uh, I think it might have been a party. Uh, I think Matthew has just experienced resurrection and he wants all his friends to experience what he just experienced. I think Matthew is throwing a party with all his friends because he just experienced something from Jesus and he's like, you have to meet this man. He's changed my life and it's nothing short of resurrection. And so in the midst of this party, in the midst of this celebration of resurrection, what do we get? When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, why, why do they gotta ruin a party? Why do they gotta ruin a good party? Uh, why, why is your teacher eating with these people? Doesn't he know that's not allowed? You can't do that. You don't interact with tax collectors. You don't interact with sinners. If you do, you must be condoning their behavior. And here you are, eating and drinking with them. Jesus would get later uh, accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. I don't think he cares. <laughs> I think he likes food, and I think he likes wine, and I think he likes hanging out with these people. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Jesus is quoting a Hellenistic proverb here, and then he adds Hosea 6.6 onto it. Go and learn what this means. Now, I want you just for a moment to imagine you're a Pharisee, which means you know the scriptures in and out. You have most of it memorized, if not all of it memorized, the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, and then this Jewish rabbi who's eating with people he shouldn't be eating with says to you, a very learned person, go and learn what this means. And then quote something from the Hebrew scriptures to you, which you know. Uh, this is offensive. This ragtag rabbi walking around with these people telling me to go and learn what something means? Seriously? Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've come to call sinners, not the righteous. The, the Pharisees were the epitome of righteousness. They were convinced that they knew what was right and what was wrong. They, they were addicted to believing they were right. 
Not a lot has changed in our day. Uh, we wrestle with our own addictions to our own rightness, don't we? Rather than being able to hold it loosely and recognize we just might not always be right. Uh, these are the people Jesus came to hang out with, to minister to. I, I have come to call sinners, not the righteous. Uh, the healthy don't need a doctor, it's the sick. Uh, I, I wonder this morning how many of us uh, have, have put on a facade to walk in these doors today so that everyone will see I'm healthy. I'm good. I'm healthy. Jesus didn't come for you. It's a hard word. Uh, I wonder how many of us are willing to just let the facade roll off and say, there's, there's a number of things inside me that just simply aren't healthy. And I recognize that Jesus sees it, and you know what? Rather than being frightened of that, I find that so relieving. Jesus, would you come and do a deeper work of healing in me? Because we always need a deeper work of healing, don't we? We always need more Jesus. We always need more healing. And it's okay to not have it all together. None of us do. Some of us hide it better than others, but none of us have it all together. Only the truly human one does. Only Jesus does. And he sees you. He sees who you were created to be. And he keeps inviting you to live more and more into that. Come on, get up again. Get up again and follow me. Get up again and follow me. And make sure you have people carrying you. And make sure you're carrying other people. As we come and partake of the bread and the cup, as we remember what Jesus has done for us, as we take this bread and dip it in this cup, and we remember Christ's body given for us and Christ's blood shed for us, I wonder this morning, what is it? What sickness is still in there? What unhealth is still in there? that you simply want to say, Jesus, come do a deeper work in me. Uh, this is the Lord's table. Uh, Madeline LaIngle once said, uh, it's the Lord's table. Who am I to check the guest list? <laughs> Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He dined with those who just wanted to be near him. Maybe this morning you just want to be nearer to Jesus. doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, where you come from, what you've done. If there's something in you that says, I want more of Jesus, come and get more. Come and get more. Uh, Isaiah 55, Come, all who are thirsty, 
come to the waters. And you who have not money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. God, thank you for these stories. Thank you for Jesus. who wants to dine with all of us. God, as we come and take this bread and dip it in the cup, remind us anew of the mercy and grace and love of Jesus, who, yes, sees our brokenness, but more than that, sees who we were created to be. God, may we once again this morning get up and follow you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So before you go this morning, I uh, want to let you know uh, we have elders and prayer people who will be available down front if you'd like prayer this morning. Uh, also, please don't forget to sign up for the retreat, uh, buy a ticket to our fundraiser coming up. And as you go, may you know that Jesus sees you. He sees the brokenness, but more than that, he sees the beauty, he sees the glory that he's planted within you from the beginning. He sees who you were created to be. It's beautiful. It's glorious. Will you get up and follow him? I bless you to get up and follow him, experience his healing to the full. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Amen.